0: What's going on guys and welcome back to this week's episode of the Let's Just Talk podcast. You've seen the title, I don't even know what I've called it yet because I'm recording this probably three or four weeks ahead of time, but you've seen who the guest is. He is no stranger to this podcast or to my audience, our audiences together. Max, it
1: has been a while, mate. How are you? It has. It's been a very long time, at least four years, five years maybe. I'm going to
0: suggest Yes, it was 2017. I was living in the south of France.
1: Yeah, Mate, yeah. yeah, it would have been... Yeah, because that's when I had the, the the Two More Day book come out 2017, and that was roughly the same time, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we both uh, released our books very close to each other, and yeah. then I was in France. Then we came and visited you in the UK, got to see the office and got to see where you were in the UK, and then I think we recorded a live on your channel, yeah. and then we recorded a podcast on my channel, so... Yeah, there you go. Six years, seven, or oh, what is it? Five, six years ago. My God, how time flies. <laughs> uh,
1: and now I live in France.
0: Yeah. And I, I was going to obviously uh, get to that now, kind of living out my dream that I got to have for a year. But uh, you now find yourself in the uh, the hillside countryside of um, France, uh, renovating your property there. It's looking spectacular, mate.
1: Right? Yeah, we're the, the French Pyrenees. So it's the mountain range between France and Spain. Um, literally half an hour drive from Spain and Catalonia very close to Barcelona. I'm a keen hiker and climber. So yeah, I've got mountains skiing, but then the Mediterranean is just there as well. So yeah, very, very uh, fortunate and um, absolutely love living here.
0: Um, Why where you ended up in there? I mean, you probably answered it just with what you've just said. I mean, it's pretty uh, difficult to say uh, why you wouldn't um, go and stay there, but was there kind of considerations elsewhere around France that uh, you were thinking of, or was this one just
1: was screaming at you too loudly to go? Uh, so actually, I've been visiting this area for about 20 years, um, so I know it very well because my fiance, now fiance, Lila, um, her, Lila's brother, Zach, is my oldest school friend uh, from, from England, and their family moved here 20 years ago. So I would come visit Zach every year, um, and, you know, and Lila and the family, so I got to know the area very well, and then now I'm engaged to Zach's sister. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there uh, a wedding
0: date? set or are you kind of just playing that by year at the moment when's uh what's that all happening
1: yeah that is uh end of september early so like to literally the 30th of september this year and we're getting married in a kind of 15th century castle in catalonia which is just across the border so yeah really beautiful area fantastic man. that's uh all coming together and i mean the
0: move from i guess what i kind of really wanted to have a chat to about besides just the catch-up because it's been so long obviously you were living in you know, busy UK and obviously visiting the area mm-hmm. where you are, but um, you've made the move to be permanently, I guess, where you are. I get, I hear it all the time from people who feel stuck in a rut or they're in a job they don't like, or, in know, a, a location they don't like. And it's just like, it's too late. Like I've got kids, I've got family, I've got a job, like all of these I'm going to call excuses because I can't think of another word to kind of use at the moment, but I don't mean them to Mm. be negative, but kind of these excuses of life kind of get in the way. How difficult was it for you to kind of pick up everything that you knew in the UK? You know, obviously people know you in the UK and your book and your programs and you were training in person kind of back then as well. Now you've obviously moved online. How difficult was it to kind of, Mm. I guess, pick it all up and move to where you are now and I guess disappear from the From the face of the planet in that you know you're obviously disappearing into the hillsides of the french pyrenees
1: i would say it was pretty easy to be honest i mean it happened i was setting my life up to be more remote anyway before covid hit i'd never i'd never planned to completely move out of london my plan was to be in between brussels where lila was working at the time here and london then so i kind of you know i was renting a flat got rid of the office which you came to visit um, and then COVID hit and France went into lockdown before England. And my mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, and Lila were in the south of France. They were like, You need to get over here now, otherwise you're gonna be stuck in London during lockdown. Like France is fully locked down. And they live on a farm high up in the Pyrenees, loads of land, animals, fresh produce. I was like, Right, I need to get the hell out of the UK now. Got the last ferry out of the UK, literally, got in my van, packed my stuff. And then basically was there in in this house ha- um, on the my per- Lila's parents' farm uh, for about a year, and I was just like, you know, this is working. My business is like re- business really picked up during COVID. Uh, you know, right time, right place for online coaching. Um, and then we decided to, to to buy the house that I'm in now, which is an 1850 townhouse in a beautiful village, with you know great restaurants, great bars, uh, and yeah, we're renovating it, which is. You know, I'm a complete beginner, never even owned a hammer before. And now I've got four drills.
0: <laughs> and that renovation process itself, I mean, I'm, I'm loving watching um, you kind of do that. And I'm glad you are documenting it because I think it's i think it's great to kind of show that, especially that rooftop terrace that you've now um, got. Was there any sense of like where to even begin? Like that's, I mean, we've just bought a house ourselves um, and we're lucky that it's a 1920s Victorian house, but it's been completely renovated. To the extent that we would have always loved to have renovated, but Amy and I kind of were talking when we're kind of thinking about buying and maybe doing a renovation. I was like, either we're going to kill each other, we're going to get divorced, or we're going to have some catastrophic event because the idea of kind of renovating something because we saw some really dilapidated type 1920 homes Mm -hmm. and like, oh, we could do this with. Just the thought just was like, and I don't even know where I would start. Like. Was it the same kind of when you saw this place? Was it, oh, I can see the vision, I'm going to have this, I have this, or was it like, where do we even start
1: on something like this? We had quite clear, clear ideas of what we wanted to do right at the beginning. It was livable when we moved in, but you know, it hadn't been done up for a long time. But it's only once we kind of got planning permission started things and we got closer towards you know getting builders uh, and we're like oh my god what are we doing uh what what, what should we be doing first you know it, so basically we just went in completely naively um not having any idea the extent of what we were getting ourselves into and it's been a case of just learning as as we've gone along and we've we've kind of we've kind of developed a a good partnership in some ways that I mean, she says that, so Lila is the, does the white collar work, which is the admin, the, the organizing, the, you know, the, the artisans and all that kind of stuff. Cause her, she speaks fluent French. I'm kind of here managing, uh, um, and getting involved with a lot of it as well. So yeah, it's been definitely been stressful for sure. It's been a learning experience. I've had to learn how to, you know, what to prioritize with my business and, you know, last year I was training for a marathon when the work started at the same time. So it's just like training for a marathon, managing the property, managing my business, but yeah, no, it will be, it's great. And, um, you know, we'll, we're definitely gonna have a break afterwards. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And are you just going to steamroll until you've
1: done everything or are you kind of doing it in stages? Um, we're we've done it mostly in stages but the the stage that we're on now once it's finished will be the work that we initially set out to do when we bought the house will be done um so yeah there's still gonna be more things but we're gonna wait like you know a few years probably
0: yeah okay i I remember when we were when obviously we were living there for the year and to us the french bureaucracy of just the amount of paperwork just for us to be there as tourists um, for the kind of extended period of time that we were um, was hard enough and when we were talking to some of the owners of the airbnbs that we were staying at even local french people were like oh yeah we've got this paperwork every year and like this and that it's, yep. i don't know like i can't even start to fathom then like getting building plans finding builders yep. getting through all those kind of like has it been did you go into it thinking okay this is going to be a nightmare and it has been or did you think this is the kind of where it will be, but it's been far worse. Like how have you found that whole process?
1: Fortunately, Lila has dealt with most of the bureaucracy and it has been pretty time consuming. Um, She speaks fluent French. She grew up here. So that's much easier, but yeah, it's always a surprise. It's a surprise to the French. And I would say, the biggest surprise for me was just, you know, I, I've been welcomed open arms by the French. I've got loads of French friends. I'm not trying to, you know, there are plenty of things that are wrong with the British as well. But I would say there's one thing about the French that they don't like, and that's hard work. Um, their, <laughs> their, their kind of work-life balance is very, very good for them. Um, but it was a bit of a shock coming from somewhere like London, where, you know, you ask for a quote, and the quote you get it the next day people are fighting for business it was sometimes just hard to get artisans to even come to the house like it's like they don't want the work um we had a plumber arrive and took one look at you know waited for him two weeks to come uh you know we need this this work done he was going to come and have a look give us a quote he took one look at where the location of the house was which was narrow streets old village he's like, i'm not working here and just drove off immediately (laughs) didn't even get out of the car (laughs) it
0: it's interesting you say kind of like. The, the French and I'm again, I'm not going to pick on them either, but um like the French didn't like their work life balance is very life yeah. balance rather than kind of work. And as I said, they, which they is can't, a good thing. Can't. And it's again, that's the kind of point I was going to bring up. Cause it's been the exact same thing for us over here in WA. Now that we've moved from Melbourne, Melbourne, Sydney, everyone knows the kind of hustle and bustle and the grind and got to work, got to do more, got to, and that's just kind of what it is. And for, a young kind of single guy or when Amy and I were kind of early dating, had no kids, it was perfect for us. We worked as hard as we could. We saved everything. We did all, you know, all those things that, you know, I thought in those younger days is kind of what I thought I wanted for my life in that, you know, business more and work more, do more, have more, travel more, all those kinds of things. And then when we came over to WA, everyone jokes about that not only because there's a three hour time difference just because of the, the time zones here, people always have the joke that while WA are three hours behind in time, they're actually three decades behind with regards to progress yep. and getting here. It has been a bit of a shock being a Melburnian my entire life, but it's interesting that I keep going back to that same saying myself as well as like, Oh, they don't open shops until 11 o'clock on Sundays. They yeah. only, they don't do this, I they don't they. do that. And it's like, I catch myself though saying, how ridiculous is it? But then I go, no, how incredible is it? Like we're all kind yeah. of geared around this world. is like do more, have more. And yet they still function perfectly fine over here. And you just work around the fact that things aren't open on a Sunday at this time and that. And so when you say that, have you found that kind of step back now that you've kind of integrated into it for quite some time, do you still catch yourself thinking, oh, I've got to be doing more? Oh, they, these guys are too slow. Or have you kind of found yourself winding back a little bit and kind of assimilating into a bit more of a work-life balance rather than just work, 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 work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely more predisposed to, I think just my personality type and whatever neurotransmitters were firing for myself. I'm like very objective focused, very immediate focused. Like I need things done now. I'm always focused on the next thing. Um, and that has actually, you know, caused me problems, you know, fairly, relatively recently. So I'm definitely trying to, um, work on that. Um, but yeah, I think the work-life balance is something I'm constantly encouraging my clients to do. You know, UK clients, US clients, they're having a 15-minute lunch break, for example. And I'm like, well, in France, it's two hours. I'm not saying you should have two hours, but, you know, somewhere in the middle would be good. So yeah, it, as you say, you know, initially you do complain, be like, actually, this is really good. And from from my understanding, the French, it's it's a policy from the French government. Um, you're not the thirty. I think it's thirty-six hour working week is kind of a policy, and the reason it's a policy is because it's meant to uh, encourage the idea that there's more to life than work, and supposedly the idea behind it is, if and I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read this, so I might have mistranslated it, um, but the reason they have this 36 hour work week is because when you give people the opportunity to have more of a a leisure time, you're going to preserve French culture basically. Um, And you're going to have that strong sense of national identity and and culture. Basically.
0: There's a, there's um, something in the court at the moment over here that I just read um, the other day in that. I can't remember if it was was nurses, maybe um, because nurses and doctors and the whole health fraternity have gone through hell over the last couple of years, but Mm. In a lot of the similar to kind of what you're saying, it's written into the policy. It's the same thing here in that it's meant to be a 38 hour week and that's yeah. kind of locked in, but then most contracts in um, kind of employee contracts will write some overtime may be required to what is, and they use the words fair and reasonable, but mm. what's fair and reasonable. Some people might say, well, an extra no, 10 hours is law, fair and reasonable it? and so interpretation. And so, absolutely and so there's been someone I said I I think it was a a bunch of nurses have gone we're doing 60 hours a week at the moment and we're like we're contracted for 38 fair and unreasonable is not an extra 30 hours 20 hours whatever the extra is we need to have more stipulations around exactly what is fair like this job is 38 fair and you know fair and reasonable would be an extra six hours on average you know they want something to be kind of hard written into it and I think that's a really Mm. kind of good point because to your point it's like, I don't know of a single person who works an, an in quote nine to five job now who just works 38 mm. hours. And especially with no. working from home kind of becoming in fashion through COVID people just figure that, well, I'm at home, uh, the office, is, I'll just duck in and do a few extra email. And like people are yeah. actually working more from home. And yet it was meant to be this whole, you know, people are just going to be slackers when they go home. And like this whole work from home is never going to work. And yet people are doing more work than they've ever done from mm. home because it's just such easy access. Have, have you found that now that I guess you are solely online, is there kind of a sense that oh, it's just there or do you have hard kind of rules for yourself as well as like, this is when I'm working, this is playtime, this is mm. whatever, you have rules around those yourself?
1: I've had to develop hard rules um, and it's something I help my clients with as well because beginning of COVID, I was in a situation where, as I said, right time, right place. I moved my business online and all of a sudden everyone was at home worrying about their health and uh, it normalized online coaching. And I had a kind of a system which was working to to bring the clients in. So I just had like a lot of clients and I was just working all the time. Even I was in this remote farm in the middle of like the most idyllic location you could ever possibly be in for something COVID, uh, even if not during COVID, I was just stressed out of my mind and working all the time. So I had to yeah, develop hard routines. I call them kind of, boundaries and cutoff activities mm-hmm. um so for example at the end of my working day which is usually about six o'clock um i go outside and i do something completely different i go on a walk do a run whatever it is and that is kind of like my commute in some ways you know if you it's like oh i i'm leaving um my working environment i'm taking myself out of that space and when i return i'm in leisure mode and i'm i'm doing uh, nothing related to work I'm in my office right now and I only ever work inside my office. Um, I don't ever work anywhere else in the house. And that way you're not creating that confusion um, with, with the mind basically, you know, if you're sitting in the kitchen working, then potentially you're not going to be able to switch off and, and de-stress. So yeah, it's, um it's something that I'm constantly working on. I think working from home is, is a double-edged sword on one hand, you've got more flexibility, but actually it means that you've got to be a bit more um, particular and intentional with your structures and your routine. Otherwise you're never disengaging, stress levels go up. And for my clients, that leads to stress eating, emotional eating, procrastination, not being able to switch off uh, and burnout for some of them.
0: Yeah, it, it's an interesting one for myself now having kids. And <clears throat> I've been, we've had a big swap in our roles in our household in that when we were living in Melbourne, obviously I had my bricks and mortar kind of clinic there and working yeah. there. And that was kind of very easy to go, well, I'm at work and then I'm at home. And, you know, the kind of delineation between the two. Amy obviously was working um, herself, but when we've come over here, Amy is by far the worker of the family now and she flies in and flies out. And so she's here a week away a week and I single parent sometimes and, or well, every other weekend, uh, every other week kind of thing. And so it's been interesting because now I've got the, the kids I'm taking care of myself. When you ask my kids, like, what does daddy do for work? They go, daddy doesn't work because I like, I, I make it an effort to make sure I'm doing the work before they wake up. So I get up very early yep. in the morning and then nice. I'm done work before they've even awake. And then I get them ready for school and do those kinds of things. And then I've had my kind of play time in the mornings where that's a gym, where that's a run or a surf, whatever it is, have lunch and then normally a couple of hours in the afternoon before the kids come home and I got to start yep. the whole nighttime routine. And so it's interesting. There's a part of my brain that goes, well, I want to actually get my computer out in front and be doing something in front of the kids, so kids actually think, "Oh, Daddy works." So that's not this question if they get asked at school, like, "What does Mummy and Daddy do?" Well, well, Daddy doesn't do anything, and Mummy does, you know, the work. Like, there's a part of me that wants that, mm. but then there's another part of me is like, I don't actually kind of care. Like, there's a, I get Mate. to spend all these moments with my my kids, which has been my dream my whole life to kind of be able. Yeah surf when I want, exercise when I want, do some work when I need to kind of thing, and then spend that time with my kids. And so it's a weird one though, that's playing in my mind at the moment that I got to try and disconnect from. It's that whole same thing I was talking about now that we're in WH is like, no, you don't have to be working all the time. There is, there is an ability just to unswitch and unwind and just kind of relax from there.
1: Yeah, I think you know, I can't imagine what it's like having two young children. But just with what happened with all these house renovations, I kind of just took a step back. I was like, I've got all these things that I could be doing in my business that will, that will, you know, in the long run help. But what are the actual things? Like the only things I need to focus on um, through this busy period, rather than you know, there's only twenty four hours in a the day. There's only so much I'm going to be able to do. So instead of having these unrealistic, unrealistic expectations, I'm going to be able to do everything and manage the the renovations um i stripped it back and was like okay i just need to focus on creating the content helping as many people as i can for free uh, and then that obviously leads into conversations with people who eventually end up in the program so that's pretty pretty much what i'm focusing on it's just um you know taking taking those expectations of yourself uh, and i think that can really take the pressure off and the stress off and make the whole process uh, more enjoyable
0: i don't know if this was a conscious effort on, on your behalf, because there's not much that I actually watch or consume um, on Instagram and social media in general. These days I made a big um, kind of push, I'd say like seven, eight months ago, where I actually just got off it completely. I wasn't posting yeah. myself. I wasn't documenting myself and I wasn't consuming any. And when I did come back, and I would say I've come back in a very soft way. I certainly don't post or document anywhere near as much. And I haven't actually posted to my feed in two years. Like I just don't post anything on there anymore. I document mm. some stuff on uh, my stories and that's about it. But for you, you're you're one of about four or five people that actually still consume your content for a number of reasons 2 I've always enjoyed the way that you go about things, but two, I miss France dearly, and so when I get to see your stuff and in the hills, I'm like, oh, we were there, and I love that. And like, so I love seeing that. But what I have noticed with yourself is that there's been a big shift to being doing like much higher quality videos. Like, like I know mm-hmm. you're probably in the in the room that you are now, and you're recording those, and it's it's almost like a thought of the day type style content that I'm kind of seeing from you on there. What was there kind of like a switch? I said, however long ago where it was, it was like this is the pathway and I'm kind of changing from how I was, you, you tended to be doing a lot of, and again, I'm seeing this from the outside in please correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but like it used to be a lot of photos of the times that you were spending in the mountains and the different things along yeah. those kinds of lines. And then that's now just switched and it's very much gone back to helping people with, you know, the mental, the physical, the um, psychological kind of ways about helping health and well-being and fat loss and things like that. And more video content. Has that been a,
1: a switch for you? Oh yeah. Um basically what happened with me was when we first met um very much intermittent fasting two more day as was the main thing i was talking about alongside you know other things that also help to improve you know people's lives basically and uh, achieve peak performance. And then i kind of just had this like switch with my personal interests where I was getting more and more into the hiking and mountaineering uh, qualified as a mountain guide. I was doing hiking retreats and I then started posting about that, which was great. But the issue is I kind of watered down the audience and got the audience confused, um, which was a problem. Then COVID hit and I actually started using Facebook ads right at the beginning of COVID, which to, 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 to find clients basically. And that worked incredibly well at the beginning of COVID. And I kind of had this realization, wow, I don't need to constantly post on Instagram anymore because I've got Facebook ads. This is brilliant. So I basically just stopped posting on Instagram pretty much. know, uh, yeah, occasionally I keep people up to date with what I was doing if I climbed a mountain or something. Then kind of last year, uh, Facebook ads were getting more and more difficult. Business was difficult. I just had this realization. I've got an audience I've got a platform. I can help people. I've got things to say. And I think also it took me a while to get confident in talking specifically about weight loss and fat loss, which is the bulk of what I help my clients on at the moment. But that involves looking at every aspect of an individual's life. It's not just, you know, what they eat and how much they exercise. So I guess there was a bit of resistance initially. I didn't, I wasn't confident in who I was and how I was uh, talking about the subject of weight loss, especially with, some of the ideas that are being promoted on Instagram at the moment of you know body positivity, which is a good thing. But then, you know, it's actually gone the other way where people are being shamed for for wanting to improve themselves and lose weight. So yeah, I had this realization, I've got this audience. I'm just going to consider I'm just going to set a commitment to me and to my audience. I'm going to post value every single day. And that's basically what I did. It was literally an overnight shift of what I did. And that has been one of the best things that I've done for helping people but growing my business as well.
0: It's been similar to yourself in that I've now done. I think our podcast today will be episode two hundred and twenty-eight or something. Wow. I think it is, and that's been one a week for two hundred and twenty-eight weeks straight. And the first two hundred podcasts were all about same thing as I said that you and I've been speaking about for years now. It was fat loss content. It was intermittent fasting content. Mm. It was fasting. It was, um, and I would have guests on probably half of the time, I'd say in those first 200, there'd probably be 70 to hundred guests in that time. And again, they were guests that revolved around the fitness type industry. And I I've shared this before, but I just got so tired of saying the same thing yeah. over and over again, just in a slightly different way, or had a slightly different guest on that said it in a slightly different way. Mm. And I just felt like I was getting bored of the conversations. And so therefore the the people listening in must be getting bored of these conversations as well. Yeah. And I made a shift with the podcast and I, the podcast, and I know you've got one, so I'd like to, you've just launched one as well. So I'd like to ask just. you about that. Um, but there was a shift for me. I felt like I was doing content for the audience. And, and while I think there's definitely value in that, because obviously, as you said, we have a platform, By now, Mm. we should probably know our audience pretty well and kind of who they are, the demographic, what they're after, and the kind of information they do well by. But I felt like I was purely posting for them. Nothing was actually, well, what do I like talking about? What do I get joy out of that if I share that information, not only am I going to enjoy sharing it, but it's going to help bring value or entertainment or whatever kind of I'm trying to bring to that day. And so on episode 200, I made a switch to the podcast and said, I'm, I'm just going to start talking to people only. I'm not going to sit into a room on my own because I was having some isolation issues over in WA. Um, I have no family, no friends. We have to obviously start a completely new yeah. life over here. So I wasn't talking to anyone. I wasn't seeing except for my two young kids. And there's only so much you can talk to five-year-olds. Like <laughs> I need human interaction with adults kind of thing. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to make this podcast purely with guests only And I don't care if the guest is someone in the fitness industry or if it's something that's completely different. I'm just going to reach out to people that I think either have something interesting to say that I'd love to learn more about or it would just be an interesting conversation. And if people want to listen in, great. If they don't, I understand. And I've seen, and I've shared this before, I've seen a massive drop in the numbers in this podcast who are listening to it, but I've never been happier for it. And if that means I have Mm -hmm. to start building a new audience on the back end of that. And those who do yep. enjoy it still come along with it, then so be it. But I knew that I wasn't providing the value I wanted to with the old content because I just was doing it in a, Ugh, this day's God. Like it just felt like I was forcing it. Whereas now yeah, you know, I think we've, t- spoken maybe two minutes on this podcast today about fat loss and fitness like kind of thing. And mm. it's just been more of a, a catch up. I've enjoyed those and I've enjoyed kind of reconnecting with people and things. Like and as I said, if it does go down the fitness route, then I don't mind that, but I, I don't, I don't, I hate saying this because I feel like the audience then go, what, you don't care about us even bothering listening. And mm. I say, I don't care what the audience thinks anymore, but I say that with a massive caveat in that I do really care And I care so much that I understand that a lot of you might not enjoy this, but I actually do believe I'm going to bring a lot more entertainment and value for what I'm doing because I'm bringing it in a much more passionate way and curious way. And so I hope that that starts coming across in, as I said, we're 28 episodes, I think, now deep into the new version. And the people who have stuck around and people who are newly coming to the podcast are sharing with me that they're enjoying the content and they like the new style and they like the just kind of conversation type flow. And so be And so I guess I say all of that to basically say, like, where was the kind of I guess original thought that you wanted to start doing a podcast? And like what were the thoughts around it? Was it kind of this is just a longer form way I can bring the content that I was originally doing? Am I doing new different content? Like what what was the kind of idea behind your podcast?
1: For me, I've podcasts have changed my life in a lot of ways. You know, I've learned so much from different uh, guests uh, on different podcasts in in, uh, in in my time, you know, to the extent where I actually worked in finance, uh, I was a stockbroker for four years. And a, a podcast I listened to had Tim Ferriss on. I then heard about Tim Ferriss's book, The Four Hour Work Week, and that just kind of suddenly made me realise that there's all these different ways that I could earn a living and and live my life that wasn't you know working finance. So you know, podcasts and, you know, were contributed towards me quitting my job. So. You know the, the the subject which i help my clients with which is yes weight loss but actually it's becoming the best version of themselves in every aspect of their lives it's it takes more than just a 30 second reel or a tiktok um so i think the long form it's just a way of me sharing my message and what i'm about in long form and hopefully that motivates inspires people to to make changes for themselves um and see things in a different light um so that's yeah, that's really what the what the the goal of the podcast is. You know, it's very very early days. It's going to evolve and, and tweak, and I will have guests at some point. For now, it's kind of um, just trying to get my initial ideas and message across, and go into more detail about some of the posts that I do on 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 Instagram, which is kind of the other way around to which people usually do it. Usually, people are doing the podcast and then turning those into shorts. Mm. I'm kind of turning the shorts into longer podcasts. Um, but yeah, it's, well, it's just a, a way of me connecting and helping with more people basically. And I think podcast is a great medium. YouTube is great as well, but for the conversations, um, you know, usually if a YouTube video, I'm skipping forward, I'm trying to find the best parts, but as a podcast, I'll listen from start to finish. So I think the podcast is a, a, a great medium.
0: A question I haven't asked many people is what podcasts are you listening to yourself?
1: I list Let's have a quick look um i have listened to a lot of joe rogan joe rogan in the past he's who i heard tim ferris on um who else i listened to diary of a ceo stephen yeah. bartlett i think yep. his name i listened to who else should i listen to uh modern wisdom um is that that's not huberman is it no modern wisdom is a guy called chris williamson huberman went, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. alex uh alex hormosey yep like
0: has he got a podcast? I didn't Hormuzi.
1: realize he had one. He's got a podcast. It's not like um he's just like churning out uh recordings of stuff he's already done and, and posting them. Uh his wife, Layla hormozy I listen to. Um there's another one called The Emotional Fortitude Podcast by a guy called Itamar. Um who's like a mindset coach. So yeah, those those are a few. They're always I am I'm rarely listening or consuming anything that isn't helping me learn or helping me become a better coach which a lot of people like to read to switch off that's not how i switch off i switch off to go off into the mountains and stuff like that but for me um another guy ryan holiday stoicism the the daily stoic love that as well so yeah those are what i listen to
0: yeah for me podcasts have become because i tend to listen to my podcasts in my um gym time because i don't run with headphones or anything like that so when Running yeah. is my complete switch off. I And if yeah. I was where you were Same as here. well, 100%, it would be. I mean, yeah. here I'm running along rivers and I'm running along the beach and things like that. So it is kind of disconnected from the hustle and bustle, but there's still quite a few people around. But the idea of being in the hills where you are just, I mean, trail running has never really been an interest of mine until I started seeing a lot of your runs. I'm like, God, that would be <laughs> so, so much better to be kind of in amongst those. and. Yeah. It's a gorgeous, but have you got any runs planned yourself again? I know you said you ran that,
1: um, that marathon, um, a while back,
0: but yeah. you got some runs planned up.
1: I've actually very frustrating. I've got an injured toe at the moment. I need to go get an x-ray because it's not getting better. So I can't run or climb at the moment. I don't have any, initially I got into, so I'm a sprinter. I'm 91 kilos. I've always been a hundred meter, 200 meter, 400, you know, did 10.7 in the 10.7 and a hundred meters. Um, I'm not built for endurance at all. Um, but then I started to, you know, spend more time in the mountains and I wanted to get fit for mountaineering. So I was like, the best way to do that is to, to run. So then I actually started to really enjoy it. Um, did an ultra marathon, 65 kilometers up the nearest mountain here. I've done a few like other kind of trail runs. But then I had a realization that my only goal with the running was to get fit for mountaineering, but I'm spending all my time running and I'm not spending enough time like actually climbing and mountaineering. So kind of last year i made a switch i'm like i'm not going to set myself any big uh challenges with running i'm just going to keep it ticking over and keep that fit and on my any spare time I'm, i'm hiking climbing mountaineering um so yeah i did some i my climbing partner and i lee did some big stuff last year in the alps last summer we did matterhorn which was uh epic you know without guides and for for our level of mountaineering uh level uh experience pretty big achievement uh as well as dufo spitzer which is the highest mountain in switzerland um the Cosmic serret um so yeah for me it's more about uh mountaineering and just the running is kind of i enjoy it and it gets me fit specifically but i'm not necessarily don't want to go down the route of of setting too much pressure on myself to 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 hit specific events um because then i'm not doing as much climbing
0: i know training obviously would be altered with the toe issue that you got on at the moment, but in a normal scenario, do you, do you run to, and I use run purely just as a kind of motion type thing, not the actual act of running, but like, do you run to a a routine at all with when like it is kind of climbing season? Is there like, okay, I'm going to go hiking and mountaineering on this day. I'm going to do a run this day. I'm going to hit some weights and like, is there a kind of routine to it?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, I don't do well, with training when i'm not working towards something specific so um you know i treat winter as kind of my uh you know what do you call building season i'll focus more on strength and a bit less running uh like do as much climbing as i can then as it kind of moves into spring i'm doing less gym stuff less strength stuff i'm going to shed a bit of a bit of weight a bit of muscle get a bit lighter uh, and graduate into more running more climbing doing the things that actually i enjoy doing um but yeah i'll try to for stuff like the matterhorn i'll treat it like it's um you know it's it's a race so i'll be tapering uh you know deload weeks all that kind of stuff as if it's like a you know professional um event basically yeah it's very structured
0: and those events that obviously you're talking about with regards to matterhorn and again i remember watching that and go i was scared just watching your videos let alone (laughs) the thought of being there like I, i talk about this all the time and i'd love to share your insights like having people do do something that kind of scares them or gets them out of their comfort zone and whether that's hanging off a mountain in the French Alps or Swiss Alps, I don't know if people want to go that far, but like to you, obviously that was clearly a challenge to you. And you said really put you out of your comfort zone again. Was it just, I wanted to tick the box of like Matterhorn or something like that, or was you, were you actively seeking something that really challenged you and Matterhorn just happened to be the mountain that you chose?
1: I'm always seeking things that take me outside of my comfort zone because that's where I truly learn about myself and grow as a person. Um, That's just something fun. It just improves my mental health. It gives me structure to my training and my life. You know, when I've got a specific goal that I'm working towards physically, everything else in my life falls into place quite nicely. Um, but the Matterhorn was just kind of a, a natural progression with, with Lee, and my uh, my, Lee, my climbing partner, and I. Um, we, we did Mont Blanc uh, maybe three years ago, you know, quite early on in our kind of mountaineering career, and we did well. And we've both done uh, stuff since then, and we just kind of, you know, we know the level of the route that we did. We know we have the kind of technical capability to do it. Um, so it was just, yeah, I mean... I wouldn't usually go for as popular mountain uh, mountains as the Matterhorn because the whole point of mountaineering for me is to be away from other people and the Matterhorn is, can get quite busy. Um, but yeah, it was just a natural progression and it's iconic. It's incredible looking. Um, so yeah, that, that's why I did it.
0: What's next?
1: It's a good question. Um I haven't really given it much thought, to be honest. I'm going back to the Dolomites uh, this July, spending about a month in the Dolomites, like living up my Land Rover, basically. And there'll certainly be some there's some classic mountaineering routes in the Dolomites because it's where uh, Reinhold Messner grew up. Reinhold Messner is the first person to climb all 14, 8,000-meter peaks without bottled oxygen. First person to solo Everest without bottled oxygen in the 70s. Absolute climbing legend. He's from the, the Dolomites and he's kind of got these like iconic uh, routes and there's just some iconic looking mountains there. So those are kind of, I'm looking to, rather than going for really like going for peaks and going for high mountains, I'm kind of looking for mountaineering challenges where essentially you've got a mountain and you've got to problem solve your your way the whole way up and down where you're using different pieces of kit and, you know, it's down to you which piece of kit you use and which route you go and all that kind of stuff.
0: Or you could really simplify it just like Alex Honnold and just take no equipment and free solo
1: everything. <laughs> Have you seen much of yeah, his that's stuff, a, it, right? Uh not recently. Um I did actually meet him at one of the kind oh, wow. of, uh showings of uh Free Solo when it came out. Um didn't really know what to say other than <laughs> you know obviously cuz you know that situation it's like what do you say to him? Everyone said everything so all I said was um you're one of those people who has um, like Roger Bannister, who has changed the perception, people's perceptions of what's possible. You know, like I think it's Roger Bannister who did the four-minute mile. Yep. Everyone was like, it's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. He did it. All of a sudden, everyone was running sub four minutes because it changed. It made people believe it's possible. And when you believe it's possible, it happens, basically. So I said that to him. Um, but yeah, free solo. Free soloing is a whole nother sport um, in itself. Interesting. There are often... So I do so scrambling, uh a lot the so scrambling is somewhere between rock climbing and hiking. And there's three grades in the UK. And most people would use a rope on grade three because it's like this is pretty sketchy. Whereas because of I feel fairly confident in my climbing ability a lot of the time I wouldn't use a rope. So that's kind of as close as I get to, to freestyling. But it it's not something it's it might happen just because oh, I'm confident I can free solo that. I don't need a rope. I'm not going to start going that mountain. I want to free solo and start setting myself free soloing challenges. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, I remember watching free solo um, the first time and the guy who Alex used, I think is one of the like guys to help him kind of map the route of like, which way you're going to do- go. And uh, Tommy was... Caldwell. Yeah, I think maybe. And then there yep. was another Netflix special that he was on. And he traversed hmm. this section with two other, yeah, two other blokes, was it? And they did hmm. it over like 16, 17 days or something. And there was this one section that they just spent days and days on because they would they would go out try and do these ridiculously technical kind of holds and climbs and move and try and get the next pin in to kind of move there. And the fact that they were living in a tent on a mountain with snow falling, it was sideways win some days and just it, it's really got me into I mean I've got zero want to go and do this I'll happily just watch Netflix on my couch and watch these guys do it but I have to say I mean to your point kind of that whole um Roger Bannister kind of thing is that Free Solo was definitely the first thing I ever kind of watched because I saw Alex on um Joe Rogan and thought Jesus who is he? Like, yeah. he just seemed like a really unique dude I'm like he is one of those kind of once in a lifetime type personalities. I need to go and see whatever this thing that he's gone and did and was then instantly enthralled by the whole rock climbing world and mountaineering world. And then Nim's day who then went and did the, you know, the, yep. the, the peaks in was it seven months when the other kind of record yep. is seven years or something like it's just, it's, I've gone down that rabbit hole um, from that. And having been in Everest myself, I did base camp Everest and, Knowing just how difficult enough it was just to trek at 5,000 meters, yeah. I, I just can't even fathom these guys that go and, as you said, go and do things that people say are impossible. But I guess it goes back to what I just asked you before kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I guess you don't know what you're capable of until you don't know what you're capable of. Like, I guess you got to go and test that. And again, I say all of that. Is it? I speak to so many people myself and I'm sure you have clients all the time who put self-limiting kind of beliefs on yeah. their life or what they can achieve physically or mentally or relationship wise or whatever it might be. What's the piece of advice that you've seen that's really worked time and time again with majority of people when you say X, Y, Z, people have that light bulb moment or like, Oh my God, you know what? I haven't been th- like, is there something that kind of really sticks in your mind for those who have just got stuck in a rut and said that this is all I can do in life. There's no point trying.
1: Mm. I teach my clients the concept of a growth versus a fixed mindset. Um, and if you're not aware of what that is, and I guess if you're not aware that you have these limiting self-beliefs and that yeah, that, that you're never going to be able to change them. Once you're aware that there is such a concept and you can shift from being in a fixed mindset, which is uh, essentially in summary, um, the abilities that I have now are set in stone and that can't change. And I can't learn anything new. Usually people with a fixed mindset don't like new experiences, don't like to be challenged. They'd rather look smart instead of um, get smarter. And they never like to say that they're wrong. They don't like to admit that they're wrong. Whereas a growth mindset is they believe that they can do anything that they like if they put their mind to it. Um, they love challenges they love they don't they're not afraid of looking like the beginner they they love to learn from people who know more than them and i think just understanding that concept and recognizing where you are and you know you could be a growth mindset in some areas of your life you could be fixed mindset in other areas of your life but recognizing that you may have limiting self-beliefs which are more in line with a fixed mindset is the first step to potentially changing that you know you can't um you can't find the off switch for certain behaviors and thoughts. If you don't know the on switch, the triggers, the, you know, the fundamental reason. So, yeah, I would say for any behavioral change, which I help my clients with, it's first getting them incredibly aware of where they are now. um, And then assessing if, you know, if that's useful for them or not. And once they are aware of, they have these limiting self-beliefs and they start to truly believe that actually, they could climb a mountain if they wanted to, they just need to break that big goal down into small chunks and just start very, very gradually working towards it. Once they start to believe that and build momentum, then everything's reinforced. You know, they, they start to, you know, creating long-term behavioral change and, and becoming the best version of yourself isn't about shouting affirmations in the mirror, you know, like, Oh, I am the best. I can do this. It's about taking action and proving it to yourself on a day, day-to-day basis to, so, ultimately you just become the person you want to become. Um, there's not like one single thing, but that's a quick summary of kind of how I teach my clients.
0: Yeah. The, the thing that's kind of really helped um, not only myself as well, um, but what I then from learning that in myself, because I think I've always been someone that is open to change because mm. when, when we went and moved and lived over in France, everyone was saying, what are you doing? Yeah. You've just had a child. You can't mm. be young. Gonna... It's like, no, I think this will be good for me. Let's go get like, so I think I have that kind of mindset. So I, I don't think a coach can only be effective for someone if they've gone through a lived experience. It's not like, you know, you've never probably been 200 kilos, but I'm sure you help people who out who do need to lose weight. So I don't think you have to always be in that, but I think a lot of those kind of lived experience can give you a different perspective. And for myself, when we moved to WA, I've now found the sport of body surfing and, I think everyone who has ever lived near a beach especially Australians can probably relate and say well when I was a kid I used to body surf you know the the wave would come you catch the wave and in you go but mm. there's an actual surf to actually surf the wave like a surfer does that's not just catching the white water in like most people body surf and so I kind of got into that and was instantly just like I have no idea what I'm doing here like I'm watching these people <laughs> who have you know been doing it for 30 40 years and so I've learned a completely new skill and I still feel like a, a beginner at it, but I can certainly see the progressions happening. And so the the thing that I've now started kind of telling people is that like, instead of the idea of like, you know, you hate your job, just quit your job, find a new career. Like that's a massive thing. Like it's not like yeah. it's a, a very small thing. And just like you'd never get someone to try and deadlift a hundred kilos on day one, when their Mate. idea is trying, you'd start at the bar and teach the fundamentals. What I've really seen work well is, Find something that is completely random to you. So as I said, if the idea is, you know, I want to quit my job and start this baking business that I've always wanted to do. This is this massive, hairy, audacious goal. that is just to even fathom doing that now is just not even in the kind of realms of your mindset. Have you ever thought about going to a croquet club and learning how to croquet? Like it's something so Mm. so different and would put you out of your comfort zone because you're going to be in amongst people who know what they're doing you're going to be something completely it could be a dance class it could be a singing class like something that is completely out and that has really helped because it does just push people to do something that's not challenging the only thing that's challenging about it is the fact that you're you don't want to look stupid you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing those kind of things are exactly then replay over into those bigger goals that you want to do most people think that people think i'm stupid or like they're the exact same thought Mm -hmm. process just on a slightly different one so that's certainly something that i've seen help myself because I'm learning this new skill and it's certainly helping me um, get out of that fixed mindset as you say but I've certainly seen that help others as well.
1: Yeah for sure I think you know it, it's kind of ties into what I was saying is you've the example you use is you've gone into a new environment and you were the beginner and it all didn't go to shit and actually you got better and you met new people and that you're going to then remember that and how that felt and then apply it to the next thing that might be big and scary you're like oh I did the croquet that wasn't a problem. So, yeah, probably I can do this. And that's like, yeah, that gradual, as you say, gradual progression. Because, you know, for me with my mountaineering, obviously, if you, the Matterhorn's pretty extreme, but it started off just enjoying hiking, you know, just like a bit of hiking, but here and there. Then I got into multi day hiking. Then I was like doing big long hikes. Then I started getting to scrambling. Then I started getting to rock climbing. You know, it's just it's that natural progression. You don't go from nothing to the Matterhorn. There's like, you know, what happened in between. And the retreats, are they still happening? Have you got some happening this year? Um, yes, I do. But I've kind of shifted how I do them uh, because it was I was just burning. You know, this is what I said earlier about my habit of objectives. Next thing, do this, do that. And it's a lot of work to run my coaching business and then also run a retreat business where you're also trying to generate clients and market it and sales and run it and pipe you know so i basically now offer retreats to my clients if i think it's correct so like often with my clients they lose their weight in three to six months and then they're like oh my god i've lost the weight i now want to get the fittest i've ever been what what can i do let's let let's set a challenge i'm like well you know great challenge is to climb a mountain so they end up coming uh over here basically so that's been quite nice because i get to meet them in person it's a great to be part of their journey. It's I love sharing where I live with people, um, but I'm not having to do extra marketing and sales on the outside.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I love that idea. It's great. Cause yeah, I've, I've started doing retreats myself and I'd always wanted to run one. It was just a goal I had in mind and I was going to run one just before COVID hit and then COVID didn't. So, okay, just shut down that (laughs) idea. But then the moment I was able to, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull the trigger on that. And I got to run my first one last year and nice, to your point as well is that I just loved because they were all clients. Everyone knew who I was or had come yep. through my Instagram. They knew kind of that. And I loved sharing what I do anyway in very small snippets and people, mm. I find it hilarious still that people see, I don't know, an average of maybe 10 or 12 story posts that I do a day. Cause I tend to me in the morning, then like I kind of document the day. And yet it's 12, let's say maximum 30 second stories what's that six mm. minutes worth of 24 hours and yet i feel people know me quite well because i have now yep. met many people and they like, oh my god how's your daughter going i saw she did this and i'm like shit how did you know that kind of thing but when you actually get to spend my retreat was four days when you get to spend four days with people you actually get to spend that time learn more about them they then kind of dive deeper than just the how's your two girls yep. like kind of thing. And I love that experience. And so I'm running another one this year, which I've, I'm lucky enough that I've sold out and it's in September. And
1: nice.
0: I've got some ideas of other ones I'm going to run next year and just bigger and better um, from that. But yeah, there's something special about retreats where you get four days with someone like it's, it's just very uncommon these days. Even when I was running a brick and mortar business, I, I'd see a client one hour write them a program or something. They go off and do that part, you know? So it wasn't really you know, good quality time with people. And so it, I guess, I, again, I say all that, but have you found that as well? And you said, you know, you love sharing the location, but like getting to know those people that you kind of gotten to know over time anyway, just strengthens and kind of deepens that relationship with them.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think also what I love about the retreats uh, that I've done in the past is people and especially when it's a hiking retreat when you're outside outside in nature people's like guard and threat levels are down you get a more authentic version of them and people are more open you have more interesting conversations people are just more relaxed whereas you know when you meet people in in london in a different environment everyone's kind of ego is there so yeah it's i've made you know i still i still chat to um loads of my retreat guests one of them's coming to my wedding um so yeah it's been uh it's, it's a great uh like to build that sense of community and to to really connect with i mean my retreats were called connect retreats um because you're not only connecting with other people you're connecting with the outdoors so yeah it's incredibly rewarding and i've made friends for life off the back of them um so yeah it's something that i'm looking forward to, to doing more of for sure um I think
0: she listens to my podcast. I'm not too sure, but I know she still consumes my content, but Renee um, and her husband, I'm trying to remember her husband's name. Cause she lives in the UK. Alexandre. Um, yeah. Is that the one?
1: Yeah. So that, yeah. he's going to my, that to my wedding. Yeah.
0: So um, she nonstop <laughs> talks about you and her, oh, oh, you know, he's gone off again on another walk with Max and they're doing this and that like, so it's been great to kind of see that side of it. And you know, Renee's always said to me, "It's like, if you're ever in the UK, you've got to come in and say hello. I was like, I don't know when I'm going to get back to Europe again, but yes, absolutely. I'd love to um, catch up, but it, they're a beautiful couple those two. And I've loved obviously getting yeah. to know them on my small scale um, of that, but um, it's been, yeah, it's been nice to have that connection um, from there. And I mean, that's, there's dark sides to the, the social media world and everyone kind of understands yeah. those. And I think people are kind of aware of it, but I think as a net positive, it's been such a great thing to have on the world. If you want it to be like, that's a big thing. I see so many people who still send me clips from hey adam what do you think about this hey adam saw this i'm like why are you following these accounts like you know garbage kind of advice that's being like, and toxic shit and like you're creating your feed to be these things that increase your anxiety they make you second guess yourself they don't make you feel good like make social media the space that you want it to be and people say oh i get fed this garbage it's like you get fed that garbage because you consume it like these, Click on these, it. Yeah, these algorithms are very clever. They send you stuff that you want to see, and so um, it's a very easy thing to look into someone's kind of mindset of like, what are you actually interested in? You just scroll their social media for five minutes, and it'll show you pretty quickly what they're kind of consuming. And so, yeah, I think it can be such a positive place. And I mean, we wouldn't have this conversation if no. we hadn't hadn't had social no. media in the first place. And so, yeah, I think as I said, overall, it's such a positive. But have you have you gone down TikTok for yourself with regards to? content generation or consuming at
1: all uh yeah i didn't have it up until very recently and i just thought i'm creating these short tiktok style videos anyway for instagram so why not just post them there as well um i'm just posting them there. i haven't seen any, anything i don't have enough uh, followers or anything to to have uh, a link on there yet or anything so I it's it is more addictive somehow than uh than instagram Just uh, so I've had to kind of really limit myself on it. Um, Social media is a double-edged sword, as you say, you know, I, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't be able to run my business and live where I live. I've also met some of my now closest friends through social media. Um, You know, Chase, uh, who has a bigger YouTube channel. I slid into his DMS. Uh, He lives in Barcelona, very close to me. I said, Hey, I'm into mountaineering. You're into mountaineering. Let's meet up. And he's, you know, he's coming to my wedding. He's a great friend. Um, but yeah, it is there's a dark side to it, and I think unfortunately, a lot of people just aren't aware on how dark it can be and how it can really impact um, mental health and self-esteem and self-belief and confuse fat loss. You know, confuse people even more than they are already confused. Um, but yeah, TikTok is what it is. I think a lot of people have done very well from it, but I feel like from my experience, it's a very different audience on TikTok than it is Instagram. And I feel like the quality of, of, of people that are consuming my information, I feel like on Instagram, there's more of a sense that people my followers and have more of a sense of who I am and what I'm trying to say. And therefore may take it more seriously and actually incorporate what I suggest and it's more meaningful as opposed to TikTok. It's just so instantaneous. It's so like short-term gratification that yeah, they may read it and they've forgotten it within five seconds as soon as they've the uh, you know the next on the next TikTok. Yeah. So with all
0: that said then, right? What's next for you? Like what's uh what's next in life? What's next in business? Um obviously getting married um soon. So what's next in love and relationships what's what's
1: next for max mm, big question so yeah next <laughs> thing is getting married um yeah lila and i would certainly like children at some point and it's interesting that you uh mentioned your situation with i can't remember your partner's name what's your partner's name amy amy with amy because lila has a proper job in inverted commas um she works for an international organization she's in paris a lot of the time um so i feel like yeah probably it might be a similar situation i have more Flexibility with my time, um, you know, I'd maybe be looking after children more. So that would be interesting. Um, but yeah, that's not gonna happen for at least two years or a year, year. Who knows? I'm just loving my life here, if I'm honest. In terms of business, uh, I am actually writing another book at the moment. So I'm quite keen to to get that finished. It's been a bit of a challenge to 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 get that done, but it's called I can share with you here. I was gonna First say, time can I'm talking about scoop? it on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically just a, it's a book format of my program and it's going to be called Never Diet Again. And essentially it's meant to give people the tools to do exactly that, Never Diet Again. Um, And I'm hoping that's going to be out by May or June. Doing a bit more how you did it, your one actually, because obviously, because I think you self-published yours, didn't you? Yes. Or did you not? Uh, Sorry,
0: self-published, but through... A company that kind of helped navigate that for me. So yeah, it wasn't like okay. Harper Collins, where kind of my, my publisher yep. kind of thing. Yeah, I, I went through a company that kind of helped me write it, helped me set it up, helped me get all of the links that needed it to become an official book, and then yeah, the like putting it on Amazon, putting it on Shell, all those kinds of things. So
1: yeah, it was an exhausting Interesting, process. <laughs> well, because I did go down the route of a you know traditional publisher, which was a great experience, but actually. I did a lot of the PR and the press myself and actually I probably you know so I'm not I'm self publishing it through Amazon this time mm-hmm. um so yeah it's going to be a very different experience I think more transparent um and I obviously have more control what's in there uh and how it gets promoted basically so uh looking forward to seeing how that works so yeah looking forward to getting that out but really just you know continuing to to yes grow my business but the way that I grow my business is by helping people and uh, you know change their lives you know so i feel very fortunate to have done a job where i was working in finance as a stockbroker and not helping anyone to truly creating meaningful change in people's lives um, you know some of the tra- transformations we've had not with weight i'm not talking about weight transformations but mindset you know career energy levels confidence self esteem that is incredibly rewarding for me and I'm looking forward to continuing to kind of grow a team around me and, and, and help more people uh, at scale, basically.
0: So that was going to be my next follow-up point in that I've, again, I have this guilt that comes over me because I'm part of like a dad's group Um, over here. As I said in WA, I thought this year, especially, I want to really kind of dive into the social side of the school and kind of get to meet more of the parents, especially the fathers and things like that. And so, in when you typical kind of introduction, kind of like, Hey, my name's Adam. Oh, yeah. What do you do for work? I'm like, and my answer for what do I do for work is oh, I don't do a whole lot, kind of thing. You know, I got mm-hmm. a couple hours here and I, you know, I write some content and then I have this online bit. And it's it's a bit hard to kind of really, what do I do? Whereas if I was back in Melbourne, yeah, I run it like it was easy. Like I run a business and I do this yeah. kind of thing. It was, and in the initial phases, there was this sense that I should be doing more so I have a better intro story to tell and then when general conversation comes up but i've just found myself and to the credit of the people that i've got to meet in them being great people to be around that they're not too geared and like why aren't you earning more why aren't you doing like there doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to be that sense it seems to be a very western australian thing they're very laid back here is when you said you know wanting to grow your team and the more business and things like is there a kind of this is enough switch for you or is it however big i can make it I'm happy to kind of keep going until it kind of gets there because I want to reach more people, or you're happy to kind of keep that circle of people that you're helping quite small, but having those bigger transformations mm. in life because you have a tighter control on it. Cause it's not so big that you can't.
1: Yeah. It's a good question. And it's something that I have thought about. I think ultimately, you know, if I'm talking purely about me uh, and, and what I want for my own life, I want a business that enables me to have 100 flexibility in my time uh and what i do uh and obviously resources and money does factor that in you know i never want to be in a position where basically i don't want to be i'm not fussed about being the richest person in the world at all but i want to have enough money so that i can do what i want when i want basically so I, whatever level of business that looks like uh that's what i'll take it to um you know the once you start you know I've got a team now but it's a small team but once you start growing you know the my your job basically goes from coaching and improving the program to managing people and that's a whole different skill set and ball game in itself and that's not necessarily something um that I would like like to to do so yeah I'm not not wanting to sign my life away and, and have a massive massive business um that's not the goal it's more just getting to a point where uh, I have, you know, consistency, freedom, flexibility, and I answer to no one.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. <clears throat> you say kind of people management has kind of, as you said, as you tend to grow, people management kind of becomes more of what your your kind of yeah. role is within a business. And I certainly went through that phase in, again, running a clinic in Melbourne, having multiple mm. staff. I actually hated it. And like some people thrive yeah. in it. They, they love that kind of managerial side and kind of, having a team be it two people or 22 people knowing that I'm imparting some knowledge and help with these coaches that then help exponential more people. And then I feel like I've had a hand in helping 500 people rather than the five people that I can. And I realized quickly that I'm, I'm a terrible boss and I I saw it in myself (laughs) because I micromanage far too much. I think you're not doing this as well as I can. So therefore the the, um, client isn't getting as good a, services I would hope they were. And so I saw that probably not as quick as I probably could have. And to any of my staff that may listen to this podcast, I apologize for being a dickhead boss, because I know I was. (laughs) Um, But it's been interesting now, because I certainly don't ever want staff again. And I'm very happy to kind of run a, sol- a business solely on my own understanding kind of what the limitations to that are but i'm happy with that and amy is now just taken another big promotion and she's now in a very senior role um, within her job and it's now much more hands off from being an actual practitioner she's a she's a mine yeah. geologist, so she used to be core sampling in the yard going underground seeing this like and kind of directing um her i guess her role that way but now she's actually managing people and she's like now I understood just how much like energy it took from you. Like, as I would come home just fried from a day and she's like, how many clients did you see? To I only saw two clients today, but I had this fire to put out this thing to put out this person yeah. like, and it just cooked me. And she's now understanding that herself. She's like, people management sucks. <laughs> I was like, yeah, tell me about it. So, um, so yeah, I wish you well. And um, I guess my whole word is, you know, balance these days I've rebranded myself and the whole, business around balance and kind of i think balance in all things in all ways in all parts of life and i think that comes within a role as well in in work so i hope you find that balance for yourself mate that allows you to as you said have the impact that you're already having but continued impact that you're going to have into the future but allows you to live that flexibility so then i get to selfishly continue to watch your um your vlogs that you do when you do post stuff about the french pyrenees because i i do love watching it so yeah
1: there will be more. Uh, it's just a bit of a break with all the house renovations. So from kind of April May, you'll you'll see a lot of that. I like it. I like it. Um, I always
0: have, and this is uh, you. You said you you listen to Steve, um, the Diary of a CEO, um, podcast. So this will be very familiar to. I have unashamedly ripped this off his podcast in that I have last week's guest ask this week's guest um, a random question that comes to their mind. So if you don't mind indulging me in last week's uh, guest's question. Yeah. All right. Where are we? Here we are. Um, how do you feel you apply your communication strategies as a partner? And what can you do to strengthen your communication with your partner? As in my fiance? Yes. Yes. Because okay. I, I will kind of say just to kind of, if that kind of sentiment, that seems a bit weird. This person is a pediatric speech pathologist. And that's the guest I had on last week. And so she, her question actually was communication strategy as a partner or a parent. And I knew you were going to be the next guest and I knew you don't have kids. So I was like, okay. can you ask it slightly differently? She's okay, cool. Da-da-da. And so she put it on to, yeah, as I guess your community, how do you apply your communication strategies to I guess your partner and people in your life? Um, and how could you strengthen those communication strategies?
1: I would say that the way that I probably communicate with my partner is something that I need to improve, but I'm very, um, I don't mess around. I usually just say what I feel quite a lot and that can be positive, but it can also be negative. And yeah, so I I feel like, um, that I, 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 I would much rather people were direct with me, um, and rather than kind of foot around and and not say what they mean so I kind of I do generally communicate like that and I would say that a lot of their time that works then sometimes it doesn't work um so I feel like that can be improved and uh understanding where different people come from I say another thing I struggle with is I have very high expectations for myself and sometimes I've got better as I've got older 33 now. Um, I often would set those expectations on other people, and then be disappointed when they didn't live up to those expectations. But obviously, you know, this is one thing I teach my clients: is, is shift people's expectations, shift your own expectations, then you're not disappointed. So, yeah, co- combination of things there. But I think learning that um, everyone communicates differently, everyone receives information differently, um, and not necessarily expecting people to. Uh, think or act in the same way that I do.
0: It's really interesting to kind of bring that point up because I always tend to think about the question myself when that week's guest kind of, how would I answer that kind of thing? And I wonder how Mm. that next week's guest is going to answer. And obviously knowing that you were going to be the guest answering that question, I think we're similar in many ways in that obviously we run businesses and we kind of run a a service-based business that helps people and kind of trying Mm. to enact change. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I certainly have over the years in that, I feel there's an expectation from clients because here's my money. So make me do the things, hold me accountable. Like they're very direct in for the majority is like, I need your help. So help me out. And so I feel that I can be quite direct with clients and be much more matter of a fact of Bob, you're not doing X, Y, and Z. You said you were going to pick up your act. Let's do it. And then I feel that that just flows into my regular way of life and i have a, a, a yep. six-year-old almost turning seven and i have a three-year-old where i amelia anna you said you were gonna do why not do this and they just go because i don't want to piss off dad i don't have to <laughs> i'm like n- n- no <laughs> didn't you just hear me like and so i catch myself being a coach to my to my girls and then the same thing yeah. with my wife as well as like why haven't you done this you said you were going to do this and catching myself is like fuck, you're an idiot. Like you can't talk to your wife. Like She didn't sign up yeah. as, a, as a kind of um, client of yours and your kids at that age certainly haven't. So I would say, yeah, I, I think sometimes it works really well because you get the point across very clearly and sometimes it is taken in and that action is then taken, but
1: sometimes not so and it, uh,
0: it can bite you back very quickly.
1: Yes, I would say that I'm definitely guilty of that. And I think is, you know, yeah, obviously you, people have, signed up for coaching so they're expecting you they're expecting to be told what to do in a certain respect they want you to tell what to do and yeah it's it's adjusting uh that tone and that um intention to other people who you want to help but maybe don't necessarily want the same dynamic or to to be told what to do so yeah that's definitely something that i struggle with but getting better Agreed. um before i kind of sign everything off
0: i always then follow it up as what's your random question? Sorry to put you on the spot, but um, what's your random mm. question for uh, next week's guest?
1: Mm, that's a difficult one. So obviously the last person kind of gets it relevant to what they do. How could it be relevant to what doing? It doesn't have to be though, doing? if
0: you want to, by all means. But if you want to ask a completely mm. random, that's completely left of field, then feel free to as well.
1: Um, bit of a difficult one. The first thing that springs to mind are um, what are what are some of your limiting, con- conscious limiting self-beliefs that you know need, you need to work on?
0: Conscious. What are some of your conscious, conscious
1: or unconscious?
0: Conscious or... Because obviously...
1: Limiting if beliefs. They are, Sorry. Yeah, interrupt. limiting beliefs. Because a lot of the time... I, you can never ask a client, what are your limiting self-beliefs? Because most of the time they're not aware of them. They're unconscious. Um, so just by getting, just by asking the question, uh, potentially maybe it's looking with and realize actually they have a load of unconscious self-beliefs, but they may have some conscious ones that they know they need to work on. Um, but just haven't done it yet. So it's always interesting to hear that. I think.
0: Awesome. I look forward to, uh, asking next week's guests and, um, Again, I already know who that guest is. So I actually don't know this person at all. I completely, as you said with um, Chase, just slid into their DMs and there's someone who <laughs> works works with children and has written a book on children again. Um, so I'm really, that, that'll that be fascinating to see um, what she answers that question with. But um, Matt, it's, it's been- oh, no,
1: Okay, I've got a better question then if it's to have children.
0: I'll, I'll write it down, go for it.
1: Um, So, I, which is actually a question I want answered is how how do you create a growth mindset in children? Ooh. Mindset
0: within children. If I can give you my two cents, just because mm-hmm. I've uh, yeah. now been on the planet for seven years with a seven-year-old and now a, a three-year-old, I think the biggest thing that I've found with my girls, especially Amelia, because she's now becoming of an age where like the personality is really starting to come in. You can kind of start to see what kind of human being I think she's going to be when she kind of grows up. Mm -hmm. Anna's still just a tornado at three years old. Like she's got thoughts kind of coming everywhere. kind of. There's nothing really kind of rock solid there. But um, I think building resilience in kids is massive um, because that allows confidence for them to try things and not be scared of failing that yep. the amount and am I going to say this incorrectly? No, if I can, I'll say it anyway. I, I people watch a lot when I'm at the park and I don't know if people have just noticed me watching this. What the hell is this guy staring at me so much, but I am fascinated by humans. I always have been. And I love, To people Mm. watch, I love when I'm out running, I love to watch how people run and just, that's an interesting, like just picking out things. And then I love to see people in social situations to see how they interact. And when I'm at the park and watching parents with their kids, I'm the parent who's sitting on the edge, observing my kids, but I'm not in there with the kids unless my girls say, daddy, come and climb this with, yeah, no worries. Over I come kind of thing. But I see far too many parents just, on their kids all the time. And I call it the um, the Snow White theory. I think it was Snow. Who was the one that pricked her finger on the spinning wheel? Sleeping Beauty. I think it was yep. Sleeping Beauty. The the kind of premise behind that story, if you kind of dive really deep in it, is kind of that here was the spinning wheel that was going to kill the child. And so the, the parents was, get rid of all spinning wheels. We cannot have spinning mm. wheels in this world. And so, yes, you're keeping them safe, but you're not really building their resilience to the world that's going to come in and the spinning wheel of some way, shape or form. So I say all of that in that I see so many parents trying to get rid of spinning wheels in all, in their kids' life. And so it, yep. when they are confronted with something that asks resilience of them, kids just seem to crumble. And so the moment, and we're all guilty of it, that when you massively fail at something and you don't have this sense of, that's cool, I could learn from that. You just turn inwards and go, well, I'm going to fail at everything at life. And so you don't do yep. anything. And so my my answer to kind of that would be is that if you can just build as much resilience and like self-belief in kids, yep. I think it'll just pay dividends to not only them as a kid to allow them to grow, but then to become a fully functioning adult in the world that isn't afraid to give things a go, isn't afraid to fail, isn't afraid to kind of try something new and kind of, I think, grow from their experiences. So. That would be my two cents
1: yeah bang on i mean because i hesitated of what i was going to ask because i was either going to ask how do you develop a growth mindset or how do you uh build resilience because i was aware that obviously like yeah what's more important what comes first and i think probably the resilience comes first um but yeah it's interesting you say that about the failing i was listening to a podcast the other day i can't remember what it was called but he he was uh, an expert in self-doubt and he used an example of someone that he worked with who didn't have self-doubt who was of a family where the father would say at the end of a school day what did you fail at today what did you fail at today but to celebrate the failures not because he saw as if you're not failing you're not trying hard enough um rather than you know what did, what did you do well today what did you where you're just uh just um praised for doing good things and never uh, and, you know, failing is not an option and failing is is not an opportunity to grow. And it, it can also be a positive thing. I think that was quite a useful insight.
0: I don't do it every day, but I, I try and get into a habit with my, my girls when I pick them up. Um, more, Again, more so Amelia and is still a bit too young to kind of answer that kind of question. But I ask her three questions as I said almost every day. It's like, what did you learn today? Like what's something that was new to that you learned today? What's something that made you happy? And then what was something that made you frustrated, angry, sad kind of thing? And so it does kind of turn it back on. Like there was something like I felt really frustrated when I couldn't do the maths problem or my friend pushed me over in the park. Okay. And then you can kind of go down that path and talk more. So I I think that's a really good question and kind of, yeah, celebrating the losses, but also again, making people aware of them and like, what did we learn from it? What can you, how can you grow from it? And kind of moving from there. Really good point um max again i appreciate your time mate um it's been great to catch up um, thank you we've been going for an hour and 20 um it felt like um we were only just talking uh, in your studio in london not long ago so uh, it's been great and for i guess people who might not know or want to kind of reconnect with you um i'll put it in the show notes as i always say but kind of shout them out now where's the best places to find you is there a website um keep an eye out for your book and like tell me everything and everything the kind of people can kind of contact or get in uh, kind of
1: consume your content to be honest, Instagram is the best place, which is at max.lowry. And that's the hub for everything else. Um, if, you know, anyone's interested in finding out more about coaching, then it's just about sliding into the DMs. And um, your podcast, what's it called? It's called The Never Dart Again Show.
0: Are you only a couple
1: episodes in? You said it's only very recent? Second one this morning. Okay. So and yeah, is, very, very recent.
0: Is it something that's coming out every week or have you got a schedule on it? Like, what's How, how can people expect yep. to see it?
1: Every Wednesday morning, UK time. Beautiful. Without well, fail.
0: <laughs> excellent. <laughs> um, again, guys, all those, um, as I said, those show notes, all, all those contact details for Max will be in the show notes. Um, as I said, I've enjoyed uh, your journey over the last kind of five, six years since we kind of first touched Basement. And as I said, it's been a true pleasure to kind of watch that, but also to reconnect today, mate. So I appreciate your time and thanks again for jumping on.
1: Thanks for having me. No, it's been great. Great to catch up.
0: Um, Guys, that's been another episode of the Let's Just Talk podcast. I'll see you all next week. Love you all. Bye.